Today we'll be reading from Luke 19, verses 28 to 48. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near the Bethpage in Bethany, at the mount which is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this. The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And he said, and they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had been saying. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What would you, even you, had known of this day the things that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching them daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So I was trying to sum up this passage into one word. Like, what's the overall emotion that people are feeling here? And the word I came up with was uh, anticipation. Anticipation, the waiting, the longing. Yesterday, I uh, officiated a wedding of a young man that was in a youth group of mine years ago and and uh, there's a lot of waiting and expectation and longing involved in in marriage and and wedding but what struck me the most is I'm standing you know you're standing I get to stand front and center which my wife would say I love being in the center and uh, she she always points out she goes why is it that you're always in the center of the pictures I'm like that's just where they put me and I I don't know <laughs> The bride is coming down, and the mother of the groom, her name is Patty, and she's sitting right there, and she's, she's looking at her son, and her son is looking at his, his bride-to-be. And in the mother's expression and in her, her tears of, of joy, what I saw was, finally. I <laughs> guess I didn't mean for that to be funny, but yeah. She was so happy that her son had found that person. 
and she had been waiting his whole life for. And the, the emotion of, you know, you go through your child's relationships and breaks up and, and drama and, oh, will they ever find that person? And, and I had to stop looking at her because, you know, that emotion start, started welling up inside of me as well, watching uh, Miss Patty there. The other thing I was thinking is I had promised my kids a, a camping trip back at the beginning of summer, and I said, we're going to go down to, to, to Ohio to visit these caverns. I wanted to take them down in these caverns. And then we would do some other things like, like uh, maybe zip lining and horseback riding. And my daughter, Sarah, goes, horseback riding? Oh, I want to go horseback riding. And so I had planned the trip for June, but then life happened, and we had some relatives come. I had to cancel the trip to tears and and, and then I'm that, I'm that dad that someday they tell stories about my dad would promise his things and then he wouldn't follow through. And so it's been bugging me all summer. So two weeks ago, we're like, you know what? We, we, can't, we can't camp overnight because our dog just had pups. And uh, if you're interested, let me know. <laughs> and so I'm like, let's take a day trip and we'll do all the things that I want to do down in Ohio. And Sarah, all summer... Hey, Dad, are, are we going to go horseback riding? When, when are we going to do that? Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And, uh, and then we're, we're driving down the whole time. Hey, I want a white horse. Dad, do they have white horses? I would love, wait, do horses have spots? Maybe I want a spotted horse. Oh, I and all day. And then we finally get to the place, and, and she is, woohoo, we're going to ride horses. And that's my girl. She's very, very exuberant. Isaiah in the back, he's more like, yeah, cool. But she is, and she was so excited to get on that horse. And I think about my poor daughter who anticipated all summer because her dad totally, totally dropped the ball on her. Um, anticipation. That's what's going on in this, in this passage. The people have been waiting. And when I say the people, the, the Jewish people, not only have, have, have the people that are alive at this time been waiting and watching Jesus who has been teaching in all these towns and villages, but not the main town we want him in, the capital, Jerusalem. He, he's, been in and, uh, he's been around it, but he, but he hasn't gone in. When is he going to come to Jerusalem? And this anticipation has been going on for the entire Jewish history throughout the entire scripture has been waiting for the day of Jesus. And I think of all the pent-up longing now the Jewish people, the people of God, the people who were entrusted uh, with, with the word of God, they're living in a land, but it's being controlled by the Romans. And they're oppressed. And not only do they have a spiritual need for a new king and a new ruler, they have a physical need as well, the longing, the anticipation. This passage is is very familiar. I think uh, even, even if you don't attend church or it's not a part of your, your culture, you've, you've heard the story, you've seen the story. Um, it's, in, it's in movies. It's in The Passion of the Christ. It's, it's something we know about. And so I wanted to come at it differently. And as I was talking with Pastor Phil about it, uh, sounding board, he, he says, you know, we always talk about the what of this passage. Ah, Jesus rides on a donkey, and, and that's significant, and, and uh, he comes into the city, and all these things, but we, we don't talk about why 
why he did those things and, and why it's important. And so this morning, I'm going to try, to the best of my ability, to answer the question, why? Why are these events so significant? And I believe in this passage that what is displayed for us is that the three offices of the Old Testament, the prophet and the priest and the king, are all embodied in the person of Jesus. And we can see it in this passage. So the first thing that happens (laughs) is Jesus tells his disciples to go steal a colt. Isn't that what it sounds like he does? Hey, just go into town, and when you, when you see a colt tied up, just take it. And if anybody asks, tell them that, that the Lord needs it. And, and they do that, and, and everything works out fine. But I, I, I can imagine his disciples thinking, well, wait, Jesus, shouldn't we take some money? Shouldn't we? No, 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 just, just take it. I'd love, I would love to have been in that, that conversation. But why is this so significant? Why riding on a donkey or a, a, a colt of a donkey, which is one, in this instance, hasn't been ridden. It's, it's young. It's pure. But to quote Zechariah 9.9, which you're going to learn more about today in Sunday school with Alan, and if you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, this is one of the soprano solos that, that everyone loves. In Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here we see Jesus fulfilling prophecy. He is riding in to the ancient holy city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. He is fulfilling scripture from hundreds of years before he walked the planet. And it's important that they see him as king because Jesus as king has been promised since Genesis. You can go all the way back to the promise that that Jacob slash Israel gives his son Judah. And he says that the scepter will never depart from your lineage, which is to say the king will come from your line and it will never leave it. It will never leave it. Well, how does that happen? That the line of kings ends on earth. But Jesus did not come to fulfill an earthly kingdom. In 2 Samuel 7, you see that promise reiterated again in, in what we call the Davidic covenant, where God makes another promise to David and says that the throne will never leave your lineage. There will always be someone from your line seated on the throne. But there's no throne there right now. Jesus refused an earthly kingdom. And there's a couple times where you see him specifically doing this. There's a a passage uh, in John 6 where the crowd is so amazed and and, and fearful fearful because of the things they had seen Jesus, that they, that they try and, and take him and force him to be king. And, and he kind of slips out of the crowd. He does his thing that he does once in a while, and he just you know, can slip out of the crowd. And then we see it most prominently when he stands before Pilate 
and there's a lot of spoilers today. If you haven't read to the end of the book, I'm going to give you a lot of spoilers today, so sorry. Jesus answers Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus is the true king. But his kingdom is not of this world. And Jesus rides on a donkey because he's not riding on a horse. And if he were riding on a horse, he would be a military conqueror being followed by his, his, his armies to come in and take out the Romans and take his rightful place. But he doesn't. He rides on a donkey in humility. And there was another king that did this too in the scriptures is David's son, Solomon. When he becomes king, And he processes into Jerusalem. He actually is riding on one of his father's donkeys. Because he's not coming in as a a conquering hero. The land is already his. He's coming in 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 humility. Jesus Christ reigns today in the heavenly kingdom. He rules over his church. And rules over the entire universe. All creation is in his hands. Jesus is king, and we see it here. And the people are saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees go to Jesus because they hear this and they know what's going on. They're quoting the Psalms. And they're saying that what David wrote in the Psalms is talking about this man walking here. And the Pharisees go up to Jesus and say, You need to rebuke your disciples. You need to shut them up. And Jesus says, If, if, if they didn't say this, the, the very rocks would cry out. And one of the interesting things you see in this passage, you see this progression with the Pharisees is finally, is finally coming to a head. And the events that take place in this passage, many believe that it was the final nail in his coffin for the, the Pharisees to plot to get rid of Jesus. So Jesus is king, and we see this. Next, I think you can see that Jesus is not just a prophet, but he is the prophet. He is the prophet. And I love this passage. I often have trouble because I watched, uh, oh, what's his name? I can't remember the guy's name that, that played Jesus in uh, one of the older movies. But he was really stoic and always talked like this when he spoke the words of Jesus. And so in my mind, Jesus is a real stick in the mud. From, from watching those movies and that he doesn't show emotion and he's always calm, cool, and collected. Well, he's none of those things in this passage today. So we always call it the triumphal entry, but Jesus actually doesn't go into Jerusalem yet. It says that when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, he cried over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. And this is a theme that you see throughout the Gospels. And it's like Jesus saying, 
you guys don't get it. I'm right here. And you don't see it. You don't understand what I'm doing. You don't understand why I'm here. And, and coming in the next week, we're in the last week now of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. And Jesus will get very blunt and very plain spoken, telling him what is happening and what he's going to do and why he's going to do it. And they don't get it. And they don't understand. Maybe you felt this way about your children. Maybe you've spoken to your, your kids. And if you would just listen to what I'm telling you, you're not going to have these issues. You're not going to have these problems. And they don't. And they go their own way and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're grieved. And I think that maybe Jesus is feeling a lot like that right now. But then he goes on and he says, For the days will come upon you and your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know that I was here. And what he's doing here is he's predicting what is coming down the road very shortly, the destruction of Jerusalem that comes maybe, I don't know, was it 30-some years in, in A.D. 70, and the entire city is, is raised to the ground. Jesus is a prophet. And we go over this with the kids uh, in, in class because there's a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. We're working through the Old Testament. And a prophet has two Specific functions. He does, he foretells and he foretells. Forth, like, forth and four. So, foretell is a prophet will tell the truths of God. A prophet will tell the truths of God, and a prophet will also give you the future of how God is going to work for good or for ill. You know, I'm thinking of, of the prophets. You think of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because they're unrepentant and they don't get it. And then you think back to Jonah. Remember Jonah who hated the Ninevites? I believe Pastor Phil just recently talked about him. And after he gave the message, he went up and sat on a hill where he could see the Ninevites and just waited. He's like, all right, God's going to destroy him, and I want to see it. And I think about how different Jesus' heart is from that. Jesus is a long-awaited prophet. The first of the prophets was Moses. And in Deuteronomy, Moses writes that, well, let me just read it for you. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command." And so he says this one, this prophet that's going to come, it's going to be, he's going to be greater than Moses. 
Because when he comes, it's going to be like the fear that you experienced when the presence of God showed up on Mount Horeb. That that prophet is going to be like that. And you think to the road of Emmaus, another spoiler alert coming up in, in Luke 24. Maybe you know people say, if you could go back in time, any place in history, where would you go? I'd want to be there in Luke 24 with Jesus, having him open up all the scriptures. It says that Jesus opens up all the scriptures from Moses on, showing how they were about him. That it all pointed to him. And that the Old Testament predicted the need for a suffering Christ and his subsequent resurrection and glory. Jesus is our prophet. As prophet, he reveals God to us and speaks God's word to us. So Jesus, he's our king. He is sovereign ruler over his church and the universe. He's the prophet foretold of in Scripture who reveals God to us and speaks God's word to us. So first, Jesus is condoning theft. He's not really. Then he's upset and he's crying. And now it looks like he throws a temper tantrum and loses his cool. Isn't that what it looks like? You know, whenever people see, the Christian claim is that Jesus, he doesn't sin. Well, people love to point out, well, what about when he drives out the money changers? It says, and he entered the temple. So now he's in Jerusalem, and he enters the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And you have made it. A den of robbers. And what's interesting, the way this passage ends, and this is another one of those bookends in Scripture, it says, And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his word. Do you remember the story about when he was a child and he runs off and his parents can't find him? Where is he? He's doing this. He's in the temple teaching. And you get this idea that Jesus has been anticipating and longing to be in his father's house again, teaching. That that's all he ever wanted to do. I love that. So many believe that this moment in particular is the moment where the Pharisees and the religious rulers realize that we have got to take this guy out. And the main reason is because he has upset their little money-making scheme. Okay, He has upset their flow of cash. Because what's happening is there's, a, there's multiple courts. Okay, And there's the court of the Gentiles outside of the temple. And that's where everyone can go. And if you're not a Jew, you can go there. Well, what had happened is they had set up money changers because pilgrims would come to Jerusalem to go to the temple to make uh, offering and sacrifices. And in fact, at this time, because it's Passover week for them, 
the city has swelled to over six times its population. So it is a good time for the money changers to make some money. Because what they do is they say, okay, you, you need to, you're a pilgrim and you want to come to the temple? Well, you need to make an offering. And so you go to give them their offering. They say, ah, 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 we only take temple coin. So you need to go to the money changers and they will change out whatever you have for the temple coin. And so you can imagine that that was not a fair rate. And they were taking people and swindling people. And if you came and you needed to buy a sacrifice, you needed to get that temple coin so that you could buy a a goat or a pigeon or a dove or whatever it is that you're going to use to make your sacrifice. And they extort everyone. And so they have made the temple that is supposed to be the place where humanity gets right with God where they go for supplication, for praise, for worship, for forgiveness, and they have made it a place for them to make money. And Jesus is angry. And I think one of the reasons he is angry is because Jesus is the high priest that we have been waiting for. Jesus He's the high priest. And he's the high priest in three ways. He functions as this priest. And it's very strange. (laughs) First of all, he is the perfect sacrifice. It says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They're calling him a lamb because that's what they would use to sacrifice, to take away their sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And it's interesting for us in the modern world to think that the real reality that we live in is this reality. This reality of blood sacrifice. We're so far removed from that, most of us have probably never butchered an animal in our life. (laughs) We're so removed from how things really are. And we convince ourselves and and kid ourselves into this new modern reality and that we no longer need these things. You think of C.S. Lewis when he talks about, uh, in in the Chronicles of Narnia, he talks about the ancient magic from from long, long before, that 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 magic was still true in in their day and age and that, and if you haven't read that, it all sounds really weird. But... um, Jesus is that perfect sacrifice. In Hebrews, it says that the blood of goats and, and, uh, and bulls is, is no good anymore. He has appeared, this is from Hebrews, it says he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Jesus, this is a weird thing. Not only is he the perfect sacrifice, but he is also the one making the offering. He is the priest making the offering of his sacrifice. And the only way I can picture it is seeing two people. Because he's the perfect sacrifice, but Jesus also is the priest, the high priest who brings us near to God. 
He is the priest who brings us near to God. He continually leads us into God's presence. Which is why there is no longer a need for a temple today. There is no longer a need for the Levitical priesthood. Because Jesus is our high priest. In Hebrews 9, it talks about the temple. And in the court of the Gentiles, everybody can go. But then as you go closer and closer to the center, to the Holy of Holies, the place where uh, the, the ark resides, the place that represents the, the presence of God, fewer and fe- fewer can, can go in. So the priest, only the priest can go in to the holy place. But then from there, there is the holy of holies. And only the high priest can go in there. And he can only go in there once a year. And they were so terrified of this once a year going before God that when the high priest would go in, they would tie a rope to his leg so if he was struck down by God, they could, they could drag him out. Jesus is the high priest. And we can go now to the Holy of Holies with him. Another spoiler alert, when Jesus is crucified, that curtain, there's a large curtain in the temple that sections off the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. When he dies, it's torn in two. Maybe one of the most amazing things that happens in the story. Listen from Hebrews chapter 10. It says, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can enter in to the most holy place. Jesus takes us right in there. He is the high priest. And then this one is one I don't think about all the time. Jesus, as our priest, intercedes for us. Which is to say, he goes to the Father on our behalf. He intercedes for us. He's praying for us. Even now, In Romans, it says that Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So even as as I neglect my prayer life, Jesus is interceding for me right now. I'll be honest with you, I never really thought about that. Right now, he's going to the Father for my spiritual concerns. He is going to the Father for our church right now. Man, I love that. I can rest on that today. So in summary, in this passage, we see in narrative form that Jesus as prophet reveals God to us and speaks God's words to us. As priest, he is both 
He both offers the sacrifice and is the sacrifice. And as king, he rules over the church and the universe. And I'm watching my time, so I'm going to zip through this last part. But these offices of prophet, priest, and king were there in the garden. Because Adam, before sin, in a subordinate way, held all these offices. Whenever he spoke of God or to God, it was always true about God. There was nothing clouding understanding of God. And Adam was a prophet and spoke the truth of God. He was a priest in that he could go to God. He could go and speak to God. He would walk with him in the garden, prophet, priest. And as a subordinate king, he had dominion over the earth. But that was broken in sin. And in the Old Testament, we see God trying to recoup these three offices of prophet, priest, and king through humanity who continually fails. But Jesus perfectly embodies these three offices. And to you and I, living according to the scripture, you and I should be prophet and priest and king. We should be prophet in a world that needs Jesus and needs to hear the gospel. We should be proclaiming the truth of God's word. We should be prophet. Peter calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation unto God. We should be continually interceding on behalf of each other and the world for the salvation of all. And we exercise leadership and dominion in our church and in this world. And all of these things we will do in heaven for eternity because this is how we are supposed to be. The scripture says, do you not know that you will be Lord over angels? When we go to heaven, we're not just going to sit around on clouds and hang out. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we will have dominion over it. And when we speak, we will speak as prophets the truth and word of God. And we will be able to go to him in the most holy of holies. That is the hope of scripture. So the why. Why did Jesus ride on a donkey? Because he's king. Why did Jesus weep over his people? Because he told them the truth and they wouldn't hear it. As a prophet. And he goes in and cleanses the temple because he's priest and he hated to see what they had done to it. He was there to intercede for us. He's the perfect sacrifice. So this week as we go, think about how can I be a prophet to those around me? How can I be a priest interceding for our world and our community? And how can I exercise dominion, that is, to bring kingdom living to this church and to this earth? That's our goal. Let's bow for a word of prayer. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can know you. We can see you. I ask that these three offices would be fulfilled in us as they are in you, as we seek to imitate you. That these three offices will be made known in our church, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.